Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Time. Hello and welcome to RNZ's podcast, Extra Time. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the program this week, we're on America's Cup countdown. Wayne Smith calls time with the All Blacks. The White Ferns name their Women's Cricket World Cup squad. And All Whites keeper Glenn Moss moves on from the Phoenix. Secrets, protest, espionage, claim and counterclaim, it's all part of the America's Cup and it's about to descend upon us again. The 2017 Louis Vuitton Challenger Series begins in Bermuda in a week's time but already there's been battles on the water for Team New Zealand taken out in a practice race by British syndicate BAR. The incident happened during a practice race when BAR rammed Team New Zealand's catamaran Aotearoa from behind during pre-race starting manoeuvres. That left Team New Zealand off the water for three days. Now, Todd Nile, he'll be covering the America's Cup in Bermuda for RNZ, and it'll be Todd's fifth America's Cup. Todd, does this incident with BAR, is it going to set the tone for upcoming racing? Well, things might get a bit nasty, and if you look at past cups, there's always been something that's uh, added a bit of aggro and nastiness to it. I think that accident probably isn't because in a in a racing situation that would not be an unusual thing to happen what was interesting and and slightly contentious about this one was it was in a practice race where team new zealand certainly felt that that level of aggression was not appropriate maybe more appropriate uh, in a a full-blown race but of course what it did highlight was the consequences of something like that happening, a relatively minor collision that will take at least one of the boats off the water for two days. If you look at the the calendar, there are six days in the Challenger Series where Team New Zealand has uh, two races a day. And looking through the rules, there's no automatic entitlement to a delay and some grace. There certainly is provision for it being awarded, but that will be circumstantial. What if the damage was caused and it was your fault? Would you get a break to sort your stuff out. Uh, And if you didn't get a break and things went on without you, you could very quickly lose the points that could take you out of the running. Uh, There has been some speculation, uh, you may have seen, about possible syndicates trying to take out Team New Zealand, which seems a, a little bit odd given everyone's only got one boat. Yeah, it's one of the great conspiracy theories, and you know, and it's a fascinating one to ponder, but really you would have to think, you know, if it was to happen, it would only happen at the crunch end of the competition, not during a practice race, because, you know, the the person that you're risking taking out may in fact turn out to be not a threat at all. So, you know, that sort of thing wouldn't wouldn't emerge if ever, and is probably unlikely to emerge until 
you know, the crunch point in competitions. But hypothetically, somebody uh, whose own chances were done and was sympathetic to the defender might take another challenger out. But, you know, that's that's a pretty big call. And you would hope in an event like this that it wouldn't happen because if your cunning manoeuvre went wrong, you could do uh, terrible damage and, and perhaps injury and, and, and worse to your own team. What do you think is going to be particularly different about this America's Cup in Bermuda? Well, I think it's what we've seen so far. It's the intensity, it's the speed of these boats, the fragility of the boats. They're, you know, extremely fast and sophisticated. They're absolutely packed with electronics and, and hydraulics. Half of the stuff works on Wi-Fi. The, you know, the, the foils and the daggerboards and, and rudders are all out on the edges of technology where there's that balance between lightness and strength. And we've seen Team New Zealand break a rudder, break daggerboards in Auckland. And even, you know, looking just back four years to San Francisco, you know, this one more than that one is going to be how well the sailors can control the boat up on the foils, perhaps for the entire race, how good the control systems are, which is the main part of the boat that each team uh, has its own technology in. And, And so far, you know, all of the teams have had their moments. Oracle's tipped over twice. Uh, Ben Ainsley's team hit a wharf and the consequences of that sort of thing happening in the competition, you know, are far greater than they have been in the past. You mentioned San Francisco there. How much does that still hang over Team New Zealand? Well, you would think not. And the approach this time is quite different. I mean, we've heard Grant Dalton this week on RNZ talking about in San Francisco when they arrived and by the time they got to the first race of the final they'd played all the cards that they had in terms of technology and development of the boat and they've quite deliberately taken a different course this time where they are still bringing in, you know, a week out from the start of the racing, uh, new bits to try out and new things that they're testing. And what that means is there's there's more hope for development and improvement during the series, but it brings with it, as Grant Dalton pointed out, you know, the risk of trying new things when you're in a racing situation. So... From that point of view, they've taken quite a different approach. They, of course, have you know different personalities. Dean Barker's moved on to SoftBank, so they're probably not feeling that they're locked in, you know, the same path that they were on in San Francisco. I suppose it could also be Grant Dalton simply making trying to make a play on the fact that they've arrived late, so he's trying to come up with something to push their case, keep the the opposition thinking. Oh, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Because there's so much of that that cat and mouse going on. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of psychological warfare. And yes, you know, Team New Zealand has arrived in Bermuda late. So of all the teams, they'll have had the least time in those waters, but not necessarily significantly less time in their boat. But, you know, that is a factor that's going to work against them. And and each of the teams is kind of making comments about others' relatives' performance. And, And given the mind games that go on in the America's Cup, you listen to these things and think, well, what are they trying to achieve by by saying that but you know and things are very different for team new zealand this time than san francisco where they were almost guaranteed in the america's cup final because there was no one within cooey of them uh to race against this time they've got to go through the full challenger series the round robins the semi-final uh, and the challenger finals before they get there and there are more teams that could make life very difficult for them there is no guarantee that they make the final which they almost had in San Francisco. Thanks, Todd, and we look forward to catching up with you in Bermuda. Keep an eye out, too, for Todd's Bermuda Shorts, a piece on our website where he'll be looking at the quirky and offbeat news around the America's Cup. 
The outgoing All Blacks assistant coach Wayne Smith says he wants to step down from the job before he loses his passion for it. Smith's announced that he'll leave the role at the end of this year's rugby championship. The former first five has had a 20-year involvement with the All Blacks as a player and a coach. He says it's time to refresh. It used to annoy me a wee bit when Steve and Graham Henry and I were coaching together from 2004 to 2011. We won 80, 89 tests out of 103, which is a pretty good record, but we were we were hopeless apparently until we won the World Cup and and the World Cup win in 2011 seemed to legitimise everything else we'd done, which I didn't think was right. I, I think every... You win a test series against the Lions or you win a Grand Slam or you win the Bledisloe. All those things are massive pinnacle achievements to me. So, um, yeah, I'm just, that, that's how I am. I, I feel every single game. Throughout your entire co- coaching career, is there a particular team that stands out as the, the best one that you've coached? No, no. We, um, both Steve and I and Crono, Graham Henry... In Foster, we we've coached generations now, I suppose, of of players, and you just can't compare them. The game changes, the people change. Um, I've had superstar teams, brilliant teams to coach that haven't been as successful. Other teams with maybe lesser personnel from the outside who have been successful, so you can never tell. Um, probably a, a, an event that is really dear to me um, personally was our first. Crusaders' first um, Super Rugby win in 1998 because it, we were last after five rounds. Um, Graham Henry's Blues team was far and away the best team of competition. Somehow we managed to come through and beat them in the final at Eden Park. I can remember going out to do some media after the game and I felt like I was floating on the ground. <laughs> it, felt, it felt surreal. <laughs> and uh, So that, that really sticks out, I suppose, as something that... I'll take to my grave as a, as a positive memory. On the flip side, uh, was there anything, uh, looking back on it, were there dark moments throughout your coaching career? Yeah, I think any job where, you, where there's huge scrutiny on you, and like every decision you make for the Crusaders or the Chiefs or, or the All Blacks, it's commented on, it's judged. So when things don't go well, you have your dark times, you know, so you, there's a lot of great times, there's a lot of tough times, a lot of wins... There's losses as well. But what I always found was it's always exhilarating. It's always you're there with guys that you love, you grow to love, you know they're putting everything they can on the field. So win or lose, it's always exhilarating. And uh, I've loved that, that part of it. And um, you said you sort of want to take a bit of a sabbatical after, after the sort of two years you want to take off. Is there any chance you could come back to the All Blacks environment? No, I wouldn't think so. um, I'll be 62 by then. That's not prohibitive, but I love the game. I'll always be involved in rugby. I go down and watch the local club if I'm home on a Saturday. It's what I love doing. Um, I watch every Super Rugby game. Even though we get them on Monday on our computer and we have five views, I still watch them. Just (laughs) The first part for enjoyment, the second part you spend all week analysing them. But... um, I'll, I'll stay involved in the game even during this sabbatical. I'm going to recondition. <laughs> you know, I'll do a bit of rotation, probably back into something. I don't know what it'll be, um, or what, at what level, or to what sort of commitment. But I'll, I'll always do something in the game. I think. 
how did the experiences, I guess, at the end of 2001 shape when you came back as an all-black coach and what you've gone on to do since then? Yeah, I think that 2000-2001 period, I was a young all-black coach. Um, I still have regrets about that um, period a wee bit because I had I was lucky to have Tony Gilbert beside me. He was a, he was a wiser head and... Uh, but I was a wee bit overwhelmed, you know, the, the game had gone professional, um, there were two of us coaching only, Tony and I, um, and so I'd stepped from a successful career with Crusaders, but at a lower level, and it's ten times as intense at the All Blacks, and so you have all these other jobs, it's not just the strategic planning or the, or the running of the team, it's everything outside that, and uh, it's... And it's a job I took really, really seriously. It was my life. I was um, committed to make it work and I was prepared to give everything to do that. And so I was a hard marker on myself. And um, that came across as probably lacking confidence. But I didn't. I, I, was, I wasn't sure I was the right man for the job at the time. Um, knew that I would have my day and was hoping that I would get re-elected. To, to prove that, but also was aware that I'd come up short in a couple of games, and so I think getting back on the horse and going straight away to Northampton was good for me because I learnt a lot of a lot of lessons, you know. And I was a young coach still, and and um, and you, you know you you have good and bad experiences. You just got to stack them up like building blocks, and you step up on them, you know. And you and in time you can look back at those and draw from them, but um, you need to stack them up first. And so that, that Northampton period was brilliant. When Graham Henry rang to see if I'd come back and coach the All Blacks with him and with Steve, initially I was doubtful that I would. But after a week or so, I, I realised inside myself that I had to, just for myself to, to prove to myself that I did have the resilience and I did have the grit to... To, to have another crack at it and put myself in the in the line of fire, and that was 13 years ago, <laughs> and I'm still here. That's retiring All Blacks assistant coach Wayne Smith. The youngest ever player to attend a World Cup has been named in an otherwise experienced White Ferns side for next month's Women's Cricket World Cup in England. At 16, year old, at 16 years old, Amelia Kerr was just two months old when New Zealand last won the tournament in 2000. White Ferns coach Hayley Tiffin told Matt Chatton they believe they've got the mix of youth and experience just right, with the team being led by the likes of Susie Bates and Amy Satterthwaite. Oh, it's important that um, very experienced players uh, that um, lead the team really well. Um, they lead from the front. They've had, both had very successful um, seasons leading into this World Cup, and both are over there actually in England playing now. So, um, but the balance of the youth and experience is key. You know, we we want people to to be able to come in and, and all players to be able to freely express themselves, express their skill set, and we certainly, as a support staff um, and as a, as a team, we really back each other and back the people that we've picked. And uh, at the other end of the scale, um, Amelia Kerr, uh, you talked a little bit in there a little bit about uh, the 2000, uh, winning in 2000. I don't even know if she would have been alive then. Uh, is that sort of a, does it make you think, oh, what's going on there having her in the team? Uh, yeah, well, it's, it certainly shows my age. Uh, <laughs> 
Yes, she wasn't born, I don't think, and, and there's a bit of a joke in the team that uh, a couple of our more experienced players could almost be her mother. So, um, <laughs> look, Amelia brings something special to the team. She's, she bowls some genuine league spinners that uh, are really attacking, and um, for a young player, she handles the pressure really well. She's very calm and collected. But at 16, she's played a lot of cricket uh, in those 16 years and, and certainly puts, puts herself out of her comfort zone and playing boys' cricket and... Um, been around cricket all, uh, with her all her life, really. Uh, so, you know, I have full faith in her, and um, she just provides something exciting, um, you know, for for this World Cup campaign. Conditions-wise, you sort of mentioned they're going to be uh, over there in the UK, sort of similar to what we sort of see here. I guess how vital is it having that time over there that the half the sort of squad is playing over in the UK at the moment in the lead-up to the tournament? Yeah, we. We sat down as a group and, and thought about the preparation and we felt that it was best if we could get as many girls um, or players over in England as, as possible. So we've got seven with Susie, uh, sorry, Sophie, the seventh player, leaving next week um, to play some county cricket leading into that World, World Cup. And it, was, it is crucial, you know. Um, they, we're going to face different conditions over in England, playing at different grounds, and that's part of being uh, at a World Cup and the challenges that you face and the pressure that comes with it. So... Uh, we feel excited about the the opportunity to to play in a a, a World Cup. Yeah. In, in today's day and age, you know, we're always in professional sport, in particular, always talking about one game at a time. But I'm guessing in the back of your minds is making the final sort of you know the bare minimum of what you sort of expectation wise what you want over there. Yeah, I think um, you know our goal is to to get in that final and win it. Um, but it will be certainly lots of challenges uh, in order to get there. If we, as I said, if we earn that, the right to be there, and I have full faith in this team that we can achieve that. Um, so, you know, seven games, uh, round robin games, playing, playing everyone is going to, going to pose different challenges as well. And that's just how quickly we adapt to conditions and, um, you know, continue to adapt our strategy um, and game plan for for each uh, different opposing team. Obviously, winning the World Cup is a massive incentive for going over, but now we've got the added one that the uh, prize money has been sort of increased tenfold. Has that got the girls talking at all about it? What's the sort of is it exciting? I guess knowing how much money is on offer. Well, I think uh, from the ICC point of view, it's really great that they're wanting to continue to invest in the women's game, and yes, it's, it provides uh, an exciting. Um, motivation I suppose for some players but certainly I know as a group this team are working hard towards the World Cup and if that if we get the opportunity to win it um, then that's just an added bonus. Party time <laughs> yeah. um, and I guess um, there still obviously is a little way to go in terms of getting that um, disparity sort of evened up between the men and the women do you think we're on the right step though, or on the right track? Yeah absolutely and I do want to commend not only the ICC but New Zealand cricket on the um, the steps that they're making towards uh, the yeah, women's sport and women's uh, cricket in general. And um, there's a long a wee way to go, but they're certainly heading in the right direction. White Fans coach Heidi Tiffin talking to Matt Chatterton. The White's goalkeeper Glenn Moss has parted company with the Wellington Phoenix for the second time in his career this week following former coach of the Phoenix, Ernie Merrick, off to Newcastle. 
Well, the Phoenix still yet to appoint a coach for next season. The club has held off renewing contracts, and while Moss says while there was interest in retaining him in Wellington, nothing was in concrete. Moss has a wealth of A-League experience, having also played for Melbourne Victory and Gold Coast United. As he's, he's looking forward to the move. From what I've learnt uh, in my football career to date, Stephen, that there is never a plan. Um, anything can happen in football. Um, that's the beauty of it. For some people, especially people like myself, that, that um, I guess love an adventure. And when I was weighing up my options on what to do next, um, Newcastle was by far the most appealing. Was there an option to stay at the Phoenix? Um, there was uh, obviously interest from the Phoenix, but I mean, as they publicly stated, they weren't prepared to sit down and uh, discuss signing with anybody, current players or players from outside the club until the end of the month. So um, unfortunately, I, I couldn't sit around and wait for that to come along. So I uh, looked at my, my next options. And Ernie Merrick, you've obviously got a bit of, bit of history there. When did he come knocking? Yeah, I'm extremely fortunate to link up with Ernie again. He's a manager that's had great faith in me as a player and a person, so it's an added bonus to be going to a club like Newcastle and and joining Ernie as well because I know what he can do. Um, He's shown everyone what he can do when he came into the Phoenix and um, you know reinvented the club, basically. So I'm sure he has the same idea for Newcastle, and, and I'm happy to go there and help out with him. This is a, a one-year deal. Do you see yourself possibly staying longer, or how, how much longer do you see, see your playing career going? Well, I suppose we go back to my first answer, and there is no plan, mate. Um, I'd love to have a crystal ball and, and see the future because, um, you know, that would be ideal for everybody, I guess. But at the moment, it's just a natural feeling of excitement going to a new club and, um, you know, a fresh playing group in a new environment, so, um, you know, I can't see any reason why I wouldn't be there long-term, but, again, who knows in football. Uh, are you expecting Ernie to maybe try and lure a few other Phoenix players to, to Newcastle? Um, I'm not sure, mate. I mean, uh, as I said, I, I know what type of players Ernie's after, and I guess everyone does. He, he likes, you know, quick, quick athletic players. Um, you know, he, he'd like to have um, a few more attacking players at Newcastle, so whether that's Phoenix players or other players around the league, uh, yeah, you'd have to pick Ernie's brain about that one. What about the state of the the Phoenix? I mean, are they at a, a, a somewhat of a crossroads? Um, well, obviously they're still looking for a new manager, so you know that's that's the most important position of the club is is finding a manager. Um, I think the sooner they do that, the better for everybody involved. And um, the club can look to prepare for next season because you know football football doesn't sleep. It's a business that doesn't rest. It's it's twenty four seven. So um, the the sooner they get a manager, then then next steps can be put in place. When you look back at your recent stint with the Phoenix, there must be, I suppose, a, a sense of disappointment and and what the side didn't achieve and what it possibly could have done. Well, when you don't make the the playoffs and the finals, there's obvious disappointment. No one wants to go out early. Um, we, we've talked it up every year, really. There, there hasn't been a year, I think, where we've come in and gone, we're not going to be any good this year, um, so don't get your hopes up. Um, because, you, you know, there'd be no point to even starting the season if that was the case. So you have to go into a season confident and talk, talk yourselves up, um, you know, have that belief. 
Um, you obviously hit potholes along the road with injuries and suspensions and, um, you know, change of management halfway through and things like that that can be un- unsettled. I mean, in the year before, it was the licensing saga. So, unfortunately, each year there were those little little hurdles that we just couldn't quite get over. Keeping Des Buckingham and Chris Greenacre, would, would that be the best move for the club? Um, look, they've, uh, they're, they're young managers that came in and, and did a good job when they had to. Um, they were, I guess, thrown in the deep end, as, as you could say. Um, so I'm sure they've learned a hell of a lot of the, you know, from the season. And from what I understand, they've applied for the job. So now it's up to Rob Morrison and, and the Wellnix group to, I guess, look over those contracts and see, uh, you know, who's who's the best option for the club moving forward. I was talking with Glenn Moss, all whites, and now Newcastle Jets goalkeeper. And that brings us to the end of extra time for another week. I'm Stephen Hewson. On behalf of the RNZ Sports team, thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.